gonna slide this over just a little. I got a little mark there, and it's not even, and it's gonna bother me. There we go. Okay. <laughs> Who moved the pulpit? Who did it? No, just kidding. It's all right. That's why I got the mark there. So, um, all right. <laughs> you guys are getting the taste of my neurosis here. A little more every week, so it's good. Um, all right. Second, First uh, Thessalonians two. This is a. This has been a really good letter so far. We're we're at about the halfway point now. Um, we're going to work through Second Thessalonians as well as we continue uh, working through the fall. Um, but basically, the first half of this, really more than half of this first letter, is just Paul speaking words of encouragement and comfort to this through this church in Thessalonica that is struggling, that is um, confused, uh, that's being persecuted and afflicted. Um, there's, there's all kinds of problems here. And Paul had planted the church with, with Silas, and we read about that, this in Acts chapter 17. He goes in, he's really only there for maybe three or four weeks, maybe up to six or eight weeks, but almost everybody agrees that he's, he was out of this church um, and on to other things because of the danger that was in Thessalonica for him. He left in the middle of the night very quickly after having established the church. And uh, now the church is just kind of left there, kind of floundering on its own. And Paul uh, is very concerned about them. And so we're going to see this today, but he sends Timothy to this church uh, and gets a report back from Timothy about how they're doing. And that's the section we're going to look at today. But if we, if we, as we think about Paul, and, and Silas and how they left so suddenly, um, I think we can all kind of understand where they're coming from as they write this letter. Uh, being separated from someone we love, family, friends, it's a jolting thing. It kind of just, it, it, it shocks us out of our apathy in some ways. Um, anybody who's ever experienced the sudden death of a loved one, who, which wasn't, it wasn't expected or it wasn't, we weren't prepared emotionally for it, you get that, right? It's just, okay, they're gone, like, and, and we have to wrestle with that. And uh, I've experienced that in my life with family members over the years who are just, they're, they're gone. And, and you don't really know what to do with that. Um, it's disorienting and knocks the wind out of us in a lot of ways, right? And I think that's one example, right? Now, Paul's not talking to a group of people that have died. Um, he's talking to a group of people that he had to be separated from. And I think actually that's an interesting situation that had we not lived through 2020, um, we maybe would not have understood this quite as much as we do now. But if you remember back in March of 2020 when um, the government and every government in the world pretty much just said, okay, stay home now. You can't see people, you can't gather, you can't do this stuff that you always do. Um, and I know like thinking about that, it's a, it's a politically charged thing and I get it. I'm not trying to drudge up anything like that. I'm just trying to su suggest to you that as you think back, not through hindsight, right? Because hindsight's 2020 and we can think, oh, maybe we would do things differently this time. Fine, that's, that's valid. But if you remember how you felt in the moment when it actually first happened, how disorienting, how confusing, how struggling that was for us, and uh, I remember when, when we got the news that everything, the schools were closing down. We were actually at the school, my kid's school, 
Um, we were doing some PTO thing uh, at the time and we all get this like text message. Everybody at the same time gets their text message that says school's closed indefinitely. And we're like, well, we're in the school. What do we <laughs> like? What do we like? What do we do? And so it was just very weird. And then we had to navigate the church stuff, which let's not relive any of that. So it's going to give me PTSD if I if I have to think too much about that. But but that's but that's a little bit of what Paul. It is basically what Paul's dealing with, right? We all kind of lived through that for a season, uh, where we weren't supposed to see each other. We really weren't. We weren't sure what to do. And Paul gets ripped away from these people too. And, and he's discouraged by that. And so Paul's going to address that specific issue as we get into verse 17. And, and here's, here's where it starts. He says, But since we were torn away from you, brothers, we were torn away from you. So that word torn away is, is a Greek word that basically means that uh, it, it can it can really mean the, the orphaning of a child is really the, the primary mean, meaning of it, is that like a child loses his or her parents. That's how Paul felt emotionally about being ripped away from this church. And we see the family relationship there already established in the last couple of weeks as we've looked at this passage or at this book. We've seen Paul talk about his love for this church like a mother for her children, like a father for his children. Right? Paul's using that family language. And here again, he's kind of using a, a word, a Greek word that, that has to do with being separated from your, your parents as, um, and, as the way in which he feels about being torn away from this church. So since we were torn away from you brothers, he says, for a short time, in person, but not in heart, we endeavored the more eagerly and with great desire to see you face to face because we wanted to come to you. I, Paul, again and again, but Satan hindered us. For what is our hope or joy or crown of boasting before our Lord Jesus at his coming? Is it not you? For you are our glory and our joy. Now, let, let's understand what Paul's coming from, right? He's, he's talking to a group of Christians who probably are pretty discouraged by Paul's absence, right? He was there. He kind of, well, he planted this church. He helped establish them in the faith. And then he's just gone. Like he leaves in the dark of night. They probably didn't get to say goodbye to him, most of them. Uh, and, and so now they're like probably kind of accusing him of not caring about them. I think that most of us would probably get there ourselves if somebody we love just disappeared and then then didn't communicate or come back. Uh, Paul's trying to address that issue. And, and so he's saying to them, listen, it's not that we were separated willingly. We were, se- the word separated, and the word he picks is the word for being torn apart against our will, right? Like we didn't want this. But then he says we weren't torn apart in heart, we were just torn apart in person. He said, so he's basically saying, we still love you, we still care for you, and because we do, we endeavored more and more with great desire to see you face to face. Paul's heart in this is to see them again, to be reconnected, to, to be able to actually look them in the eyes again and care for them and talk to them and not communicate to them via letter or through sending Timothy or any other means that he, that he used to communicate with this church. 
Paul wanted to be with these people and he wanted to convey that clearly to them. And so he's at a situation where he's explaining to them that, he, that that's his heart. That's where he wants to be. He wants to be face-to-face with them. That phrase face-to-face is actually used a couple times in this, in this chapter. That's going to be a key thing for us to talk about. But he says, I want to see you face-to-face with great desire. He has that. And, and yet, he says, Satan hindered us. And we, we actually don't know why or how Satan was hindering this. Uh, he doesn't elaborate. It could have been all kinds of things, right? I mean, there, there's just a sense in which he's not able to get there and he's trying to explain to them it's not his choice to not be there. It's the circumstances that he finds himself in. And so here's where he goes. Um, verse uh, one of chapter three, he says, therefore, when we could bear it no longer, think about that, when we could bear it no longer, him being separated from them was creating anxiety in his heart. He, he wanted to know how they were doing. He wanted to check in with these people. He wasn't just walking away and going, well, I can write those people off now because I'm done with that, that part of my job. Paul deeply loved these people. When we could not bear it any longer, he says we were willing, we meaning Silas and him, were willing to be left behind at Athens alone. And we sent Timothy, our brother and God's co-worker in the gospel of Christ, to establish and exhort you in the faith that no one be moved by these afflictions. For you yourselves know that we were destined for this. For when we were with you, we kept telling you beforehand that we were to suffer affliction just as come to pass, just as you know. For this reason, when I could bear it no longer, I sent to learn about your faith for fear that somehow the tempter had tempted you and our labor would be in vain. <clears throat> Paul just so, so desperately cared about these people. He could bear it no longer. He says that twice in these five verses, right? So when he could bear it no longer, when he couldn't stand to be apart anymore and not know what was going on, he's deeply worried about this church and understand why, right? They, he had three or four or six weeks with this church. He didn't have three or four or six years with this church like he did with the, uh, the Corinthians or the, uh, the church in Ephesus. He had like weeks with these people and he's just going, I'm gone What's, what's happening to them? Are they okay? Are they still walking with Jesus? Where are things at? And finally, he just gets to a point. Paul, Paul was kind of, you know, a little anxious about this. In fact, he talks about, and I think it's Galatians, he mentions the anxiety he felt for all the churches that he had an impact in. He loved these people. He loved each church that he had a role in. And this is no exception. He's got this like, okay, okay, I, he, he can't take it anymore. I got to do something. We got to find some, something out. So he sends Timothy. Now, Timothy was a young guy by comparison to Paul. We don't know how old Timothy was at that point, but he was young. And Paul probably figured it's easier for you to get there than for me to get there right now. Um, You you can kind of navigate through this. And also, Paul was sort of a wanted man in Thessalonica. There was a riot being created because of his preaching. So Paul's like, "Mm, probably not a great idea to go back and start another riot. So let's send Timothy there. Timothy's kind of a persona non grata, you know, and so he can just show up and, and meet up with these Christians. 
And so he sends Timothy. He calls Timothy his brother and God's co-worker in the gospel of Christ. But he sent Timothy there to do something, to establish, this is the end of verse two, to establish and exhort you in the faith. So Paul's main concern for this church is you guys haven't even been established fully yet. You, you don't have all the information that you need to, to follow Jesus faithfully through to the end. So he sends Timothy to help kind of get them up to speed on, on aspects of the Christian faith, to help establish and exhort or encourage. That's, that's the same word, right? To encourage them in their faith. And here's why, verse 3 and 4. It says, so that no one may be moved by these afflictions. For you yourselves know that we are destined for this. For what? For afflictions. For when we were with you for those few weeks, we kept telling you beforehand that we were to suffer affliction, just as has come to pass and just as you know. So Paul's basically worried about this church because they're going through persecution, hardship, pain. And you know, one of the things that we, we still wrestle with, even though we don't live in a society right now that is persecuting us for our faith, right? We're here, we're publicly open. Nobody's hiding from the government, right? We, we're, we're blessed in that regard uh, as believers here in, in our context. But, but all of us, whether we face affliction uh, through persecution like the Thessalonians were, or whether we face affliction through just the, the, the just cruddy parts of life, right? The sins and the brokenness and the disease and all the things that happen in this world, right? This is the thing that can, can make Christians question more deeply than anything else the goodness of Jesus. Because we're going, how can we reconcile a good God letting these things happen? Now, here's what we need to recognize. Affliction is not the... Uh, abnormal parts of the Christian life. It is the norm. We need to get our heads around that. If we don't get our heads and hearts around the reality that in this world you will have trouble, as Jesus says, if we don't get there, we are going to be tossed around like a ship in a hurricane like we saw those pictures in Florida, right? Like you see these crazy things. That's our souls just going nuts because we don't know how to reconcile. So Paul is telling this church, we were destined for this. What were we destined for? We were destined for affliction. Does that sound comforting? <laughs> no, but unless you see it through the lens of Jesus who did suffer and die and rise and intercedes now for us to carry us through this life and into the next. G Paul wants them to know that Jesus and he wants them to know that this Jesus cares for them in the midst of affliction. And so what did he do? He sent Timothy when he could bear it no longer. He said, I'm going to have to sacrifice having Timothy here with me, which Paul would have preferred because Paul and Timothy were, were good friends. They, they liked each other. They wanted to be together. And Paul said, you know, I'm going to have to give Give up Timothy for a little while here. Let him go for months and months probably to, to see this church. And so he sent the, Timothy to learn about the faith, verse 5. And the reason he did was because he was fearful that somehow the tempter 
had tempted them to leave the faith and that our labor would be in vain. He was concerned for their, their love for Jesus to be wiped away because of the temptation to walk away. So, so that's, that's crucial, right? This is Paul's heart for this church. Now, Paul's just basically writing down for us all of his fear and anxieties and, and concerns for this church. But now he's going to tell us the good news in verse 6 through 10. It says, But now that Timothy has come to us from you and has brought us the good news of your faith and love and reported that you are always remembering us kindly and long to see us as we long to see you, for this reason, brothers, in all of our distress and affliction, we have been comforted about you through your faith. For now we live if you are standing fast in the Lord. For what thanksgiving can we return to God for you? For all the joy that we feel for your sake before our God, as we pray most earnestly night and day that we may see you face to face and supply what is lacking in your faith. Paul, Paul is telling them that Timothy came back after visiting this church with an incredible report. A report that I think shocked Paul, to be honest. I don't think he expected it to be this good. Right? Pastor Chris shared some of this in his sermon last week on this, and so I won't belabor it, but Paul's just amazed at, that their faith is still going, that they're still loving Jesus. I mean, I, I'm sure that Timothy was walking into that thinking to himself, this is just going to be a whole bunch of people who are mad at Paul and are going to just hate his guts and hate Jesus by, by proxy and all those things. And, and then he talks to these people and they're still chugging away with Jesus, even in the midst of their hardships, even in the midst of their persecution. They're still believing the gospel. And Timothy comes back to Paul and gives him all the good news. And then Paul writes this letter and goes, you got your breath? All right, go back to Thessalonica, bring this back, right? And so Timothy just ducks back out, like, so that's why this letter's pretty short, because Paul's just like, boom, 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 quick, 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 let's encourage these people, let's get Timothy back to get them this letter, and Timothy's like, all right, this is, this is great, I gotta, like, walk thousands of miles, but awesome, but I'm sure he was happy to do it. Um, so there, there it is, right? Paul's just so encouraged by this church, He's trying to encourage them, but they're encouraging him with the faith that they have. And he says here at the end, uh, in verse uh, 10, he says that they pray most earnestly night and day that we may see you face to face. So there's that idea again. He starts with this in verse 17 of chapter 2, saying we eagerly desire to see you face to face. Now he's saying we're praying that that day will come, that we can be there with you again. Now, honestly, I'm not sure if Paul ever was able to. I, the Bible doesn't tell us. But that was his longing. That was his, that was his hope. We know that there were people from Thessalonica that met, met up with Paul uh, on his way down to Corinth. Uh, he talks about that in 2 Corinthians and basically is trying to get the Corinthian church to donate money for the church in, in Judea that was really struggling. 
And the Corinthians were kind of being like, well, we know we promised to give you a bunch of money, but we might not now. And Paul's like, no, you're going to give us that money. Like, he's, he's like, I'm going to have to take it from you if you don't. Right? And he's like, I'm going to bring these guys from Thessalonica with me and don't you dare embarrass me in front of those guys. It's, it's like really funny because Paul's a human. Right? He's like, we read the New Testament. We don't really think about the human side of these guys. But Paul's like, don't you dare embarrass me in front of my friends. But anyways, that's, that's a sermon for another day. Um, so here's where Paul goes from there. He, 11 through 13, he, he basically writes out a prayer that he prays for this church. And he says, now may our God and Father himself and our Lord Jesus direct our way to you. And may the Lord make you increase and abound in love for one another and for all as we do for you so that he may establish your hearts blameless in holiness before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus with all his saints. So this prayer is just Paul's heart for them as he's asking the Lord to bring him back to them and in the meantime to establish them and increase their love for Jesus and continue to see them press in to who he is. That's his prayer. And that's where we're going to end it for this section of First Thessalonians. But I want to I try to bring this to an issue just, just to help us think through this. Like so much of the first three, cha- all of the first three chapters of First Thessalonians include virtually no instructions that, that's what's hard about kind of preaching through them in some ways because like, there's, no, there's nothing here that I can just say, see, the Bible says do this. Um, it, it's really Paul just expressing his heart and showing us an example that we ought to follow. Now, next week, as we get into the last two chapters, four and five, that's all instruction. Basically, what Paul's going to do is go, okay, now let me just spend like a quick few paragraphs telling you guys what you need to know uh, about living the Christian life. And so we'll get into those in the, in the coming weeks. But the first more than half of this letter is just Paul pouring out his heart for this church and, and his love for them. So how, do, how does this, what does this mean for us? How do, we, how do we do anything with this? Well, I think what we're seeing in, in this is there's, there, there's a principle here by kind of implication, right? It's not necessarily like, expressed as a command, but it's shown to us in Paul's heart for these people. And and here's, I think, the the thing we're seeing. Um, Face-to-face relationships really have huge value. And I think that we can say that face-to-face relationships are always the best of all the ways that we can be in communication and all the ways that we can have relationships being face-to-face with another person is what Paul's heart is here. He says it twice in this, in this section. He wants to see them face-to-face. He prays that God would bring him back to them. Now, Paul couldn't be with them face-to-face, right? He, he was separated from them. He was uh, stuck kind of where he was because of circumstances beyond his control. So what did Paul do? Well, Paul utilized, this may sound kind of weird considering what we're talking about 2,000 years ago, but Paul did use technology to communicate with these people. He did. 
what kind of technology did Paul have? Well, he had paper and ink. Now, I know we don't think about tech. When you hear the word technology, we think about electronics because that's the way in which we live right now. But technology is, is just, there's a great book called Technology and the Christian Life by Tony Reinecke. It's a pretty big book. And he just does a whole survey of technology from like Genesis all the way through to modern day and just kind of shows that technology isn't about electronics as much as it's about advancements in making human life more bearable. And so in that broader definition, we're seeing that Paul is using the technology he has. He's got paper, he's got uh, ink. He also has roads, like the Romans built incredible roads. If you've ever studied the, the engineering of the Roman Empire, th- their road system was un- unmatched by anyone of the day. It was an impressive thing. And Paul utilized all these things to get, to the, get word to this church and to reinforce that he loves them. However, even though he had the technology to communicate with them through letter, through the word, through sending Timothy as his kind of ambassador through the roads, we can clearly see that Paul does not, he's not content with that. He's not going, you know, this is fine. We'll just keep writing letters. No, he's saying, I really don't like this, but it's the best we've got, so we're going to stick with it for now. And so think about our, think about our day. Like, it's so easy, so much easier for us to, th- to use technology to communicate that we've just sort of slipped into, oh, that's fine. We'll just text or we'll just send an email or I'll just maybe even Zoom call. And all these things are like good things to utilize at times, but they're, they're not substitutes for the real thing. And unfortunately, I think today we, we've used our technology to substitute real relationships. And I, I don't blame us for that. Like we're living in a technological revolution. And, and I think 40, 50, 100 years from now, people will look back and go to all of us and say, they really didn't do that very well, right? But, but right now we're just kind of figuring it out and that's okay. We'll give ourselves some grace in that. But here's some legitimate things we need to ask. Are we letting technology become a substitute for real relationships? Like I, I was just, we were just at um, uh, BB Jack's the other the other week, and sat down at the table, and and I'm not, so I'm gonna I'm gonna sound really judgy here, okay? And I'm, and it's because I am, but um, but I'm not trying to be judgy, and I get it. I don't understand where everybody's coming from, but I was amazed at every table that had kids. Second they sit down, boom, there's the iPad, and they're watching something. And I'm like, I get it. I have kids, okay? I don't, I want them to shut up too. Like, I, I get it. <laughs> but like, are, but what are we doing? Are we, inad- I think we're inadvertently teaching our children something that's not good. And I think what we're teaching them is uh, whatever's happening to entertain us on this rectangle is better than the people that we're sitting with. And I think that that's a, that's a problem. Now, again, I'm not saying we have to live Amish lives or anything. Like, I, I'm not saying that. I'm just saying we need to think as parents, particularly as parents, about how we instruct our children through our actions. But what's, what was even more discouraging to me wasn't that, I mean, it was sad to see all, literally every kid except my own had a, had a screen in front of them. That was sad. But I understand it. I do. What made me even matter was that I saw these two 20-somethings 
on a date. And then they sit down and pull out their phones and start, I'm like, look at each other's eyes, man, you're not gonna, like, what has happened? I wanted to walk over to them and say, please, you're not getting anywhere in this relationship if this is how you're living your life. That's where, that's where we need to recognize we're, we're not valuing the people across from us like we should. Now, why does that matter? I just went on my soapbox. You guys all roll in your eyes because you know that that's, if you've been here long enough, you know I'm, I'm that guy, okay? Um, but I think this actually does have a theological thing to, to bring us back to. And is that Christians are actually called to be countercultural in, in how we actually live our lives in resemblance to Jesus. And when we think about Jesus Christ, who was the creator of the world, he came into our world as a flesh and bone man. God saved us through a man. Now, a God-man, right? A, a man who was the fullness of deity, but he was still with us. The Bible tells us in John chapter 1, verse 42, that, that, that God took on flesh and dwelt among us. He became one of us. We see as we read the gospel's accounts of his life that Jesus looked people in the eyes. We saw that he touched them. He embraced them. There's, there's a story that I think highlights this probably the best, at, at least in my, my thinking. And it's, it's in Matthew chapter 8. It's also in Mark chapter 1. But Matthew 8 gets pretty concisely to it. And Look at, look at, I'm just going to show you Jesus here and how he dealt with some of the people he encountered. Starts in verse 1. He says, When he came down from the mountain, great crowds followed him. And behold, a leper, so a person with leprosy, a skin disease, came to him and knelt before him, saying, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. And Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him, saying, I will be clean. And immediately his leprosy was cleansed. And Jesus said to him, See that you say nothing to anyone, but go show yourself to the priest and offer the gift that Moses commanded for the proof to them. So this short little story tells us something super significant. Jesus encounters this man who has leprosy, which if you understand what leprosy was treated like in the first century, um, understandably, because they didn't have the medications that we have now to handle these things, um, they just cast those people out of society. They quarantined them, right? And they, they just said, you got to live in this camp out here. You can't be with the rest of us. You're going to get us all sick. There was protections there. And as a result, the, the lepers lived a life of isolation, of uh, real deep loneliness and rejection to the point that if they were approaching people, they would have to shout out unclean, unclean to, to warn the people that were approaching them that they were going to encounter someone with leprosy. And so nobody went near these people except Jesus. Jesus comes to this man, or this man comes to him, falls down at his feet, and Jesus could have healed him by saying, you're healed. Jesus could have healed him by any million ways, 
But what does Jesus do? It says he stretched out his hand and touched him. That was, that's significant. That detail is there because it was so radically different from how the rest of the world treated this man that Jesus chose to heal him through physical touch. Touched a man who has probably not had a physical, another human being touch him in who knows how many years. And Jesus touches him to heal him. Jesus cares about the whole person. He's tender with us. He loves us. And, and I think that that's the theology that, that is the bedrock for why Paul can say to the Thessalonians, I want to be with you face to face. And that's the theology that, is, that bedrocks for us to go, we need to value one another in real relationships. This is what it is. We need to look to Jesus and here's, here's where I want to land it today. Just, if you're here today, and I know so many of you are struggling and you're suffering and you're, you, you're, you're feeling perhaps some isolation and loneliness from just, nobody understands what I'm going through. I'm alone in this. You, you need to know that Jesus Christ is here with you. He's not physically embodied here with you, but he has your, his spirit with you. He has given you his Holy Spirit to comfort you and lead you. And, and he has also given you his church, his people, to be his hands and feet, to embody grace for us. And we need to continue to press in to the relationships God has given us, knowing that it is the heart of Jesus that reaches out and touches those who are unclean. And I think that is where, really where Paul's going with this. And so we, we need to recognize that and apply it to our lives as, as the Lord wills. So with that said, let me pray for us and we'll, we'll go from there. Jesus, would you help us to be grateful and thankful for your, your ministry of presence and body? And would you help us to see how we too, in our day and age with all the the newness of what we experience in life with technology and all the things, would you help us to navigate in wisdom? Lord, we're not here to prescribe a bunch of rules for us to follow. You're not here to give us all these rules. You're here to give us freedom. Well, yeah, we pray that you would help us walk in wisdom through that freedom. And we also pray that we, as Christians, would sit back and say, fellow Christians mattered enough for me to be present. Would you give us as a church a heart for that? Would you give us the heart that you gave um, to Paul through, through Jesus? And we pray that uh, in your name, amen.